So tonight we have Jesse here, Janine's, Janine's away. She won't be here tonight. She's at a funeral. So maybe during our prayer time, I'll bring it up when I pray. We could pray for the lady that she's uh, going to see who lost a little kid. So yeah, that's why Janine's not here. It's one of her friends. I'll let her talk about that if she wants to later. But yeah, I'm happy to be here with my buddy Jesse. We do lots of studies together and already I can feel the the charisma fucking <laughs> just radiating off of him to me. Anyway, so we're on page 69, halfway down. We're not going to start yet, so hold on, but we're halfway down page 69. We're going to talk about safe and sound sex ideal, relationship ideal, and we'll finish off the sex conduct chapter four stuff, and then we'll bounce into step five in the big book. And it's really funny, over the years, Jesse and I have done these studies, and step five kind of is like the creeper step, and it usually becomes one of the best steps of the big book study. So, you know, it's kind of cool that he's here for this one here tonight. I'm not going to read our regular readings, other than I will say that uh, this big book study is not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship. This big book study is basically an, an experience of our lives in the literature and the lit and how the literature works, sponsoring people and, and how it works in their lives. So a lot of this is opinions based on our experience. And uh, so, you know, again... If your sponsor's telling you something else, listen to your sponsor. We're just here to share what we've seen works. And I will also throw a little qualifier in there. Jesse sponsored probably, fuck, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 guys. I have also, in a lot of our experience in our program and the success that we have with guys staying sober and us staying sober and the lives that we live come from sponsorship. So, you know, that's really important because a lot of guys would be like, fuck, what do you know what's best? Well, when you sponsor that many people, you see some shit, right? So that's important. Anyway, so I'll go first. Uh, God, creator, I thank you for, for bringing us here today for another session of the big book study to try to help expand our, our knowledge on the illness and more importantly, the solution in our lives and how we can live a good and peaceful life and be of service to others. Creator, I thank you for the for all the seemingly negative experiences in my life and for for my friendship with Jesse. I don't know. He, he put us together at the right time six years ago, and I don't know if we'd both be here if it wasn't for that. So I thank you for, for those growings and those learnings and lessons and my friendship. Also ask creator for prayers for Janine and, and for the family she's visiting, that they're able to find some type of light in this seemingly tragic situation. Creator, I ask for your love and kindness and compassion and whatever you can give to that family and to Janine as they, go through that tough time. Creator, I thank you for my life today. I thank you for this big book study and for my family and my kids and everyone in my life. And it's a pleasure to be here. Hi, hi. Okay, here we go. 
So we're going to start at the middle of 69. Um, prior to that, we did the inventory for sex conduct, right? We did a five-column inventory. Um, just kind of review on those columns. If you're sponsoring or if you're the sponsee, column one was whom did we hurt? Column two was where you've been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate. Column three is did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Column four was where we were at fault. And five is what should we have done instead? Um, so I just want to add, like when I did my first set of steps and I was in the sex conduct or resentments, didn't really matter what part of the step four, it looked a certain way, right? It looked like a lot of the other people were to blame and resentments. And in the sex conduct, you know, I also thought, you know, still a lot of people were still to blame as well. So the process of like seeing self in like that second and third column, it takes fucking time. And I know when I did my second set of steps, my grudge list wasn't so much what you guys had done to me. It was uh, my disease of dishonesty kind of became more cunning and baffling and powerful. And I couldn't see things the same. And when I did that second set of steps, you know, I had had like some pretty terrible sex conduct in that first year of my recovery, first maybe year and a half of my recovery. But I really was trying to portray that I was being really honest and forthright. And even with like the partners that I was in, engaged with, I would be like, okay, I'm going to be honest and here's what I'm going to tell you. And I would tell them what I thought was honesty. But really, when I did the step four, and I and my sponsor pointed this out, right? This is why it's good to do this shit with a sponsor. He's like, dude, you fucking, you are never going to be with any of these ladies. But you're kind of giving them hope that you're going to fucking maybe be there for them, right? And I was like, yeah. Because, you know, when I would kind of get to know some of these ladies, I would say, well, you never know, right? You never know. Maybe we can, you know hit it off and stay together forever kind of thing, right? But you don't do that with like 20 or 30 different women, right? That's like, it's it's all bullshit. It was fucking all bullshit. But my sponsor was like, you gave every woman or most women false hope and you should have fucking stayed away. You had no business fucking being in that relationship, any of them really. And you just used many, many of them. And like, and I did, right? And when I really get honest with myself, I was just running through women like they were fucking objects or, but I changed my lie in my head to think that I was more sincere, right? It's just, I just get more cunning at being dishonest. So when I was doing my pattern through that second set of steps, it was fucking should have been honest, gave false hope. What should I have done instead? Stayed away, right? And that was my pattern all through my second set of steps. Um, also through that period of time, this is actually for me, one of the things that was the catalyst to my recovery, which is why I'm okay with people fucking up and making mistakes. As long as you don't drink and you're willing to claim spiritual progress, not perfection, you can make mistakes and you can grow through the mistakes. Because if it wasn't for the thing that I did, like I fucked a newcomer and uh, and I just wanted to keep it on the down low and like have friends with benefits, right? And she was quite a bit younger and she was down with all that. But then 
it didn't work out that way. Right? She ended up liking me more than, you know, she was supposed to. And then I fucking was like, no, this is, we're not into this. I'm out of here. And then she fucking used, she drank and then used. And then all this fucking backlash happened to me. And it was like terrible, man. Like it was so fucking bad. And like, I was only a year and a half sober or whatever. Right. But I had a good message and my reputation was getting strong, but then I just fucking ruined it all. And like, I had people that wouldn't talk to me, snubbing me, just gossip was fucking everywhere. And Jesse can vouch for this because he heard a lot of it. And it took me a long time to kind of get that reputation out of my life. But the important thing is, is I just, I really wanted to change. So I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this shit anymore. I need to really ramp up my game. And I knew that I couldn't go around and change everything with everybody else and tell them the truth, you know, my truth. I could only do what I could do today and I needed to change that behavior. So I started at that point and it was right around Jesse and I were working out of town together. Um, and he's doing, you know, whatever he's doing, kind of, you know, burning his hand on the hot stove burner also. But then we, we fucking sat down in the truck one day and we were like, fuck this. We're going to find the solution in the literature because for him to stay sober and for me to stay sober and the change that we already had to that point, which wasn't full character by no means, but we had enough solution based in this literature that we knew our solution lied within the literature. So we pulled out the four and the six, mostly the six, and we started studying this literature. And it was through that great pain. And Jesse, if he wants to share any of his pain, you know, I'll just say that all I know is he was living in the back of his fucking car driving from fucking gas station, the talisman, fucking showering, homeless, sponsoring, sponsoring, sponsoring. And that's one thing we've always done through every bit of stupidity we've done. We've sponsored. And it was the thing that carried us through everything. And it's the thing that's allowed us to grow through all of these, these painful situations. So I know that for me, even though that sex conduct was terrible and, and I I fucking hated all the backlash from it. It was actually the light under my ass and the catalyst for me to actually build really solid recovery from. So I always say the seemingly good and the seemingly bad, we don't actually know. But if you're willing to claim spiritual progress rather than perfection, you can grow in ways that you fucking have no idea. But if I would have taken the approach as just progress, not perfection, and kept fucking around, I probably wouldn't be here sitting here today in, in good shape like I am, right? So anything before we read this piece? Yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, without exception, my experience sponsoring other men, you know, if one end of the spectrum is God and the other end of the spectrum is the drink, there's a lot of gray area, right? The character defects could be summed up in in as the gray area, as in the solution found in this program is a power greater than myself. There's a lot of things that could trip me up before that, right? Before getting to that solution and hold me back essentially from that solution. When it comes to men, about 99% of the time, it is going to be the opposite sex. That's without exception. That's not debated. That's just fucking fact. And if it's not that, then it'll be career. But the data between the two and the disparity between the two is just so vast. It's not even funny. If a guy understands that he might, you know, be a sex addict, uh, maybe he got some serious, serious pain out of it, 
then he'll go working up north type of thing. Like that's how it works out. So when we look at the sex, um, the sex conduct, I give them every guy I've ever worked with the last maybe five years, I give them my own sex conduct without exception. They think it's unique and tailored to them. It's not, it's my own as a full-blown sex addict and recovered around that area. And then we work with that, right? If you go through, I know that Bill had kind of already outlined how he does the, uh, the, um, the inventory on sex. I do that a little bit different. So the first column is going to be who, second column is going to be what. The what, what like what I want to see uh, on the page is just what the relationship is. This could have been, you know, marriage. This could have been common law. This could have been a fling, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's just going to be kind of point blank, right? So it would be, uh, you know, engagement, seven-year relationship. I cheated on her. Relationship's completely fucking dead type of thing. Then would be elaborated in a five, right? Then it is, were you selfish, dishonest, uh, dishonest inconsiderate? And then did you, uh, and then in the um, third column would be, did you unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? And then where were you at fault? What would you have done instead? So outside of what the sex conduct would be, which I will bust into, um, you essentially what you do is you compile all the what would you have done instead and you got to start there. So quite often, you know, your average guy that you deal with, you know, a lot of the sex conduct is going to be, once you arrive on that, it's going to be should have just left her alone, for example, right? So that's going to be a big fucking part now of his sex conduct is just leave them alone. Don't get fucking involved, that type of idea, right? That's just an example. I mean, obviously these things do differ, but honestly, they don't differ much. One thing I will say, probably the most important thing I'll say is when you're sponsoring individuals, uh, generally a man won't lie to you in resentments, nor will they lie to you in fears, but they will most definitely lie to you in this area. So much so, like I've spent fuck 10 plus hours with a guy building rapport. He sees where my questions are going. He's feeling a little bit lighter. Resentments generally take fucking forever, right? And then by the time we get to the sex conduct, he still lies to me. It's not uncommon for me to be driving home and a guy, you know, calls me about some things that had happened in his past, you know, as a child, et cetera. And, you know, another hour phone conversation, but he just can't, can't tell me face to face, even after spending 10 plus hours. So that's kind of how deep rooted this area is. Uh, it's an area where you have to pry. There's a good reason why it's, it's last, it's last, right? Because you're spending so much time in the resentments, you're building rapport and the fears, um, really to try and get as, as, as an honest appraisal as possible in the sex condo, but that is without exception. If, if anybody's going to lie to you in a five, it's going to be in this area. So. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll carry on and we'll read, you know, assuming we've done, you know, a good job in the sex conduct. Um, and typically where we're at in the step four in the big book is a spot when I'm doing the five. Right. When I'm, I don't know how Jesse does it, but when I'm doing the five, I go back through the four piece by piece by piece. And I get to this spot. And now I'm in my step five process with this working with this gentleman or woman. And we're going to be really discussing this. So we'll read this and then we'll kind of go further. So we got this all down on paper. 
In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relationship to the test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideas and help us live up to them. We remembered always that sex powers were God-given, therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answers will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short on the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and we have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So we're not theorizing these are facts out of our experience. So the sex conduct that I give a man will be, if they're in the program, they have to be over a year. They have to be 12 stepped. They have to have a relationship with God. They have to sponsor other women and they can't be in an emotional disturbance. Now, I remember we did a big book study five years ago and I said that, you remember that? The fucking crowd lost their mind. All the women in the room fucking lost their mind. What do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. This, this, that. And what I mean by that is, let's say this individual was married and just divorced, right? Let's say they had lost somebody, you know, a, a child, husband, something like that, or an ex-partner. That's what I mean. Emotional disturbances, because if the opposite person has those four things in place, but they're going through an emotional disturbance, that could negate the four things that I just mentioned, right? So if they're in the program, that's the deal, right? There's going to be other things that are outside of that, which would be, you know, hookers, rub and tugs, those types of things. That's going to be more based upon the guy's own situation. And then, um, you know, uh, things like Tinder and whatnot as well. I call them another word, but just for this, I'll keep it PG. Um, you know, because that's going to be very common. I mean, these things are fairly common to be riddled, uh, you know, in a guy's life. And why it's so important that we get ahead of this is because, you know, the question comes up, how is it possible that, you know, an individual comes in here, you know, maybe they get 12 step, maybe not. They end up getting into a relationship, let's say three, four months uh, you know, they're only in that relationship maybe three, four months again, and then they're drunk before the first year. You see this time and time again. Well, how the fuck is that possible, right? I mean, definitely the relationship and the energy they put into that is is the energy they should be displacing in the program. That's for sure. Most important, though, is that the same dishonesty that they use for a drink, which is in more about alcoholism, Jim and Fred's story, is they think about a drink, plausible excuse, and they're drunk. Right. So in Jim's story, whiskey in the milk can't hurt me on a full stomach. That sort of thinking permeates all affairs and will permeate um, 
his uh, sex relations, right? Of course, the thought of drink would be different and the plausible excuse will be different. But what happens is, is that he keeps the dishonesty alive and well. And he could only do that for so long before it bleeds over into a drink. This is how these guys don't make it a year. And this is why this is absolutely no joke and needs to be rectified right the fuck away, right away. So a guy calls me, he says, Jess, you know, I think I found a woman. Guy's not even 12 stepped. You know, maybe he's on step eight, nine. And I will run him through the sex conduct over the phone, you know, and highlight everything to him. And the odds are that it's crooked. Hopefully he sees that. But if he tells me to fuck off and says, I'm going to do it anyways, which happens, then I'll say, make no mistake. There's no God involved in this, right? There's no delusion here. This isn't God put this woman right in front of your path and all God is great. God is good. Cause I fucking have heard that enough times that the reality is, is no, this is self. You're going to make a decision based on self and you will be placed, placed in a later position to be hurt. And that's that there's no delusion. There's no, you might win this one. None of that shit. This is what's going to happen. You're going to get pain. The only difference is, are you going to get pain now? Are you going to get pain later? Or are you going to be paying for this fucking mistake for your life? Because that's a possibility too. Right? So, so that's if the individual is in the program. If they're not in the program, then, you know, can't be alcoholic. Can't be going through an emotional disturbance. For the most part, that's pretty much about it. Right? If they're outside the program, the parameters are definitely not as heavy. And for the most part, you know, a lot of these guys are trying to get women off of Tinder or, you know, relationships off of Tinder. The simple fact is what I've seen most successful is they, you know, become 12 step. They do to the, uh, the deal. They get some blueprints down pat. They go into passions and loves. They start going to maybe musicals or playing guitar, whatever the fucking case may be. Then that's where they seem to meet people is, you know, when they follow their, their, their passions, when they follow their loves. And that's only illuminated to them you know, clearing the channel, being 12-stepped and, and a little bit of time. But uh, so it says, if we are sorry for what we have done. So this is if we have gone against the, uh, the, the sex conduct. I just want to jump in before he goes into that paragraph. Um, like back here in the middle of 69, it says, in this way, we tried to shape our sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about pen to paper, writing out your, your future safe and sound ideal for your sex life or relationship life. What do you want in your life? Like principled wise, not a shopping left, blonde haired, blue eyes, nice ass, blah, blah, blah. None of that shit, right? It's principles. Like, you know, somebody who can take care of themselves, who's financially self-supporting to who, you know, is maybe they're a single mother, but they're self-supporting. They got a good relation, like whatever it might be, right? You write it down and I always like to use 10. So if you got 10 points on a safe and sound sex ideal and you're now living life and you don't fucking have at least seven check boxes out of that 10, stay the fuck away. But you'll run into the alcoholic who's in delusion and they're like, holy fuck, this person, like Jesse said, God put her right in my path. Look, it just happened. Like we met and we bumped into each other and fucking we just, everything's in common. Yeah, but you only have two out of 10. Yeah, yeah, but we can make that work. We, no, you don't fucking make that work. That shit doesn't work, right? 
And like you said, you can, you can have the pain now, you can have the pain in a bit, or you can knock her up and be one of the fucking five dads that she already has going on of her fucking kids and pay for that for the rest of your fucking life. And like that one's pretty common, hey? Like seeing these guys get into these relationships with a woman who's not healthy and now they're fucking tied in because they knocked her up for the rest of their fucking life and the relationship fails. And women, same thing. You guys can get yourselves into the same kind of shit. So you got to be really careful with this stuff because this stuff is like, it'll take you out to drink and it'll fucking kill you. Back in the chapter, uh, how it works, it talks about selfish self-centeredness, that we must be rid of or it kills us. Like that line, when you extrapolate that through like self and how that actually will kill you, these are the ways that self will kill you. You will make these decisions based in self, usually for a woman, almost always for a woman, or a job, finance, status, whatever. And then it will fucking bleed dishonesty in your life. And next thing you know, you're using again and you're dead on the floor. You didn't die from the fucking fentanyl or the heroin. You died from decisions based in self that fucking killed you. We must be rid of this shit or it fucking kills us. And I was telling Chris, you know, last night of probably, I don't know, three or four stories over the last two days of men I've worked with personally, sat across from, and they're dead today from exactly what we're talking about. And that's only the first four that I, that just came to my mind. Not, you know, I haven't put much thought into that. I could probably come up with at least 10. Um, so that's important. So we write out the safe and sound sex ideal and we fucking, then it says, what does it say? Uh, we ask God to mold our ideals. So we pray on that. We ask God to mold these ideals. We remember that our sex powers were God given. Therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or used or loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. That's the kicker. So Bill W gets you to like, what do you want? And now you live up to that. Why do you live up to it? Because as you raise your level of consciousness, you find that in your life. And like Jesse said, you know, as you grow in understanding and effectiveness of yourself in this program, you will find your authentic truth and you will find different passions that you go into. And you will find and meet people with similar like interests who are like spiritually aligned with you. And then those relationships can be fostered. Here's what I've noticed. Typically, most relationships in early recovery don't fucking work. Almost never do they work until you hit at least about four years, between four and 10 years, people fucking find mates that they can actually jive with and build relationships with. And, you know, the other partners also four to 10 years sober, at least as, as well, right? So it doesn't usually work when someone's one year and someone's five years. Like, I don't know why, but it's probably level of consciousness. Water's finding its own level, right? And the person who's one year, even men and women at four years, if they haven't worked a real fucking program, like a serious program, they're still not emotionally fucking stable anyway. And you'll see many women and men in this program, 10, 15 years, single still. Because they haven't fucking worked a solid program and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. What the fuck happened? Anyway. So that's really about it. Let's go to that paragraph. Go ahead. Okay. So just quickly on what Bill had to say. So 
you know, when it comes to the sex conduct, you know, you don't want to take it to a place where you're edging God out. I'll give you an example. Like if I were to look at political persuasion, and that was one of my things that I was looking at, which made fucking little difference by the time I got into a relationship. And I actually looked at that as, and I'm over here and this woman's over here. My spouse is on the exact opposite end of me politically. And if that was something I looked at, I would have edged out a five-year relationship thus far, right? So within reason, right? What I laid down, um, that's what I go by. It's very rarely I tell a guy to do something that I'm not actively doing or have done or have fucking done for years. And that sex conduct is I've operated my life like that for six fucking years. And it's walked me into a better way of life. Um, living with the opposite sex, but it's not to a point where it's like she has to have this or that, or like Bill said, blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, if that was the case, my spouse is fucking brown, brown eyes and black fucking hair. I would have been, you know, probably not in a relationship up until this point. So within reason, right? You don't want to be edging out the opportunity of God thinking you know what the fuck a relationship is. Because if that's on you, good fucking luck. So there's that. Um, all right, let's continue on with this a little bit because there's a couple things I want to mention in this. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God to take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lessons. So that's what Bella talked about when he talked about making mistakes. That is burning the hand, understanding what had happened, and then wanting God to take you to better things. And that's fair. Odds are that that's really, I mean, it is possible that that could happen. I mean, for example, if the sex conduct says, you know, no hookers, he goes off and he does that, okay? And he comes back, right? And says, you know what? I don't want to do that. You know, I want to bring God in, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's one thing. But that's kind of severe out of the sex conduct. What about if it's just Tinder? It hops on Tinder, just kind of checks it out here and there, maybe does a couple messages, dips the fuck out. And then 11 o'clock uh, rolls around again, two days from, you know, does the same thing, right? Like the severity of over here has to be, it all has to be the same severity. That's what I'm trying to say. Because the dishonesty in the Tinder is, I mean, that's, that's really where it is. I mean, it's, it, the dishonesty is what can easily be justified to you. And that is what will take you out my hand of fucking Christ. <laughs> so, I mean, it's funny because Bill's talking about stories about guys dying directly to this. And I remember I had a sponsor years and years ago and uh, he was in one of the houses and fuck, I put him, I put this guy on blast. I put him on fucking blast. And I remember his face for always, I probably will, where he's looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, He's like, you know, like I'm mid thirties, you know, I'm kind of getting my life back together. You know, and he didn't say any of this, but I fucking saw it. I saw myself so much and like, Jess, why are you taking this so serious? You know, I'm having a good fucking time. I'm not even at a year, you know, it's not that serious. You know, he left the house, died within a couple fucking weeks. And that was years ago. And I took it serious because I needed to for my own life. And so does just about every single guy I work with, although they don't see that, right? Although they don't see that. And you won't see that until you get the fucking pain. And by the time you get the pain, it's going to be one of two options. You either go to God with this process or 
you go to the fucking drink and the drug. I mean, the idea that the drink and the drug is the boogeyman around here, like it's like, you know, have to shield myself, all this other nonsense. Like, no, man, it was a solution for many fucking years. And if you think I won't go to that solution, you have no fucking idea who I am. You know what I mean? You have no idea what this book talks about. Pressure builds up. And I'm just looking for a night of release. That's it. That's it. I'm subjected to drink for months and fucking years due to the allergy of the body. But that doesn't crown into my mind to deter me. So my favorite piece in the book, we are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience, which is to say some asshole didn't just come up with this. This is a theory in his mind. Well, it sounds good throwing it a book. These are facts out of these men's experience. It's facts out of my experience. It's facts out of Bill's experience. And it's facts out of many men I've worked with over the years. So I just want to, to your point, uh, I was shooting the shit with uh, a guy last night. And he's like, you know, when you guys talk about like not having sex and like avoiding like women, and that's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask. Like, are you guys fucking serious? And I'm like, dude, I ain't asking you to do shit. Okay. I'm sharing with you facts out of my experience. I'm not theorizing and I'm not here to hold your fucking dick, bro. And, and that's the deal, right? Some of these guys are like, fuck, why do you want to stop me from fucking like exploring? I'm a man, blah, blah, blah. Cause your fucking life's on the line. And I've seen this too many times. That's, you know, you don't have to listen to us. Like you don't honestly. Right. Um, but that's, that's the truth of this disease. Right. And then another thing, like in the book, we're going to get to it here, but I'll kind of prelude to it. So I read this book called uh, The Way of the Superior Man. And in this book, it talks about the energy of sex, okay? And then I found other literature on this exact same thing. And I always wondered, you know, certain things, I always wondered about why guys drank and shit, right? And I figured out a few of them. And then when I read this piece of this book, it just hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. And it was like, it says, the sex madman is no different than the dope madman. He will risk life and limb to indulge in sex. And it then it goes on to talk about the energy of sex. That's the most powerful energy of any human energy that we have. And when we can harness this energy and keep it like within us, and we focus it in a purposeful way, it can bring us gifts and knowledge and power that are unbeknownst really to man. And we don't know how they come, right? So it gives you this extra strength. It's kind of like a phenomenon energy. If you can take this energy and not use it in sex, but use it in purpose. And it can really lift your life and really put you in a good place in, in your life. But there's no proof of how this works, right? It's kind of like the allergy of the body. It's the phenomenon of craving. We don't really know exactly how it works. We just know because it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. So when I read this, it explained many things for which I couldn't account for. And then when I read it, I was like, ding. And then it says, when you take this energy and you fucking deplete it through purely physical forms. So I'm going to use the act of having sex. It actually depletes willingness and willpower in the physiology of your body. So the person, I see the person come into the program. They're fucking desperate. They want to get sober everything's about recovery and it's like picture a bullseye in the middle of the bullseye is the red and that's fucking recovery and that's what people want when they get here but then they go and have sex and that fucking bullseye turns fucking really foggy why because they've released the energy there's less willpower and less willingness 
even though the mind still thinks because it knows it's fucking, it needs what it needs, but they're not in control of the willingness and willpower because it's of something different. And then it fucking fucks everything up. And then next thing you know, they're fucking out here going this way when they should be going this way. And uh, a lot of that, to some degree, because everything's a little complex, is that dishonesty, right? And that's why when we talk about step 10, I'm just going to bring that in a little bit. I know Jesse hates that shit, but when we talk about step 10, there's four things on a step 10 call. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. We have a resentment inventory and we have a fear inventory, but we have nothing for selfishness or dishonesty. The biggest way to combat dishonesty is by talking with your peers and being forthright about what you're fucking doing in your life. The one area people won't talk about with their pillars or their sponsor in life in general is their sex life, right? The people that I work with, most of them, a lot of them, they'll give me like details that when I first started doing this, I didn't want to know you were beating off the porn 15 times a day. <laughs> But I found over the years that this is really important information. And as long as I'm okay to listen to it, they're okay to talk about it because they understand that their lives on the line. Mm -hmm. And through this data, it's really fucking good data because it, it kind of goes into this paragraph that these are facts out of our experience. And if we don't get these things in check, because that little bit of, you know, jerking off or whatever it is for 15 times a day and watching porn and, all these things, that's like dishonesty bleeding. And if you don't share that shit, it fucking bleeds. The next thing you know, he's at the rub and tug. Next thing you know, he's fucking getting hookers. And the next thing you know, it's hookers with a fucking crack pipe. And then he's fucking dead, right? So like all of the stuff we're talking about, super important. Um, that's it. Okay. Or you're reading there. Go ahead. All right. To sum up about sex. We earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder in helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge. When to yield would mean heartache. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listened and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and good goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, where we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you will read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Okay. Um, I don't really know what I should talk about from here. Um, I will kind of touch base on that uh, willingness and willpower depletion when you use sex in a purely physical form. Um, like the men don't see that, right? People don't see that. And like Jesse and I are pretty, you know, we're pretty strict in our sex conduct with our guys we work with because we want them to stay alive. Mm. And 
he's probably more strict than I am. I give them a little bit of leash to hang themselves and often they do. Um, and I'll give Jesse the props and the credit that he's almost never wrong when it comes to almost anything that I go to him for counsel on. He's almost right 100% of the time. Um, and because of that, he's he's very, very strict on some of his uh, boundaries that he sets with his guys. But when you see the guys that he's worked with out in society, they're very well balanced, very respectful, and they're doing a lot of good things in our society today. Mine are too, right? But I've, you know, I've lost a guy or two based on, you know, kind of not going with some of his ways. But in the same breath, you know, I do do things my way and and I'm and I always do say, okay, you got a year sober, you want a date, fucking go ahead. As long as you don't fucking drink, you can fucking try some shit. And as long as you learn your lesson, and what I found typically is we're wired for our old patterns are still wired into us. So we'll go out in society and start dating based on a lot of our old wiring. And I'm going to say there's ego and spirit in us. A lot of our ego leads the way. So it's the looks and it's the personality and it's this kind of thing. And then they'll go and they'll interact with the opposite sex. And then maybe they'll have sex or they'll date them for a while. And they're like, I'm not that person that used to date that person. And I didn't even like the sex that we had. I never, I don't like the interaction that I have. And then they learn their lesson. And then they kind of go, well, what's now something's wrong with me? Am I ever going to get laid again? Right? So there's all these things that you grow through as you kind of find who you are. And you find out, you know, and there's a lot of people that have never had sober sex. There's a lot of people in this world that have never had sober sex in their life. Or had like a real relationship where you're honest and vulnerable. There's been so much smoke and mirrors in a lot of these relationships the navigating that is really fucking difficult. So you got to learn that through, like I said, those first three or four years are really learning experience. And I guess the message that I'll say here is don't get caught up in that relationship as the one forever. Just fucking honor the gift and the experiences and the learning of that experience in that first four or five years. And just know that that might not be the one. And none of them may be the one. The only way it's going to be the one is if you have God first. Most people will make their partner God. But if God's number one and that relationship is taken to where it needs to go, not where your defects want it to go, then you have a good chance at, at building a fucking good life. And here's another thing I've noticed about my relationships in my life and then a lot of the sponsees I've worked with. A lot of us alcoholics, when we meet somebody, there's like a like a real yearning to be with them. And it's like, it's almost like an infatuation. And you just can't like leave it alone. So you're texting and you're fucking like, you know, smothering them in some ways, right? Or maybe it's both ways with both people because, you know, we find each other. Um, but I've what I've learned is that is alcoholism. That is my instincts on Rampage. And that is not really all that healthy. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that feeling for somebody that you're maybe going for. But if that's the feeling and that's the only feeling, that shine's going to wear off at some point. And it can't sustain like that. So what I've learned about my own life is, so the relationship I'm in now, starts off Here. not quite like that. And... As the relationship's building, 
I'm actually falling more in love with the woman in a way different fucking way. And it just seems so much healthier. But there's not like these big fucking hits of dopamine every fucking, like those high hits and then the crashes of those toxic relationships kind of shit. This one's just like more like this. You know, we have our bumps in the road, but it's we're able to kind of sail through it. And I think that's actually what a normal person goes through in a relationship as they build it. I don't know. I'm not normal, so I don't really know for sure. Right. So, um, and then the last thing I'll say is we hope you are convinced that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked him off, blocked you off from him. The bottom of that, you have made a good beginning. That being said, you have swallowed some and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. That's fucking humility. Swallowing things that you don't like about yourself and looking at yourself in ways that maybe are humiliating or that fucking hurt your pride. That is what's required in the sex conduct and relationship conduct. Looking at where you're a piece of shit, where you're fucking over overdoing it looking at your text messages to people what are your expectations that you're setting on somebody else that you have no fucking right sending and hopefully the sponsor when they do the five is able to point that shit out too right but that only comes if the sponsee is fucking forthright and honest with all of what they're talking about and the other thing to this and we'll get more into that in the five here is a lot of this reveals itself over time with the relationship with the sponsee and sponsor. And then I get to know you over time and see, okay, yeah, you have these cunning, subtle fucking ways of manipulating people and setting expectations. And I know that because I've been working with you for four fucking years. I might not be able to see some of that shit. Like if I just start with you on year four, right? Not knowing some of those intri intricacies of, how you are and operate. Anyway, that's all I got on for. Okay. So a couple of things that uh, Bill had shared there. Um, you know, talking about, Bill had mentioned talking about making like the other person your higher power. You hear that a lot. Really what it is, is it's essentially two half people getting together to make a whole person. That's actually what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody who has no interests, who has no passions, who has no loves, no, no substance, no nothing, uh, and another person likewise, and they get together. And this is why it's so devastating when that relationship is over, because you're actually losing a part of yourself. You know, you're together for a couple months, whether, you know, whatever, you find a lot of the same interests, you know, and then once that parts, it's devastation. Um, you know, swearing off, Bill's talking about a different kind of love and that love and appreciation growing over time, you know, with, with the world of the material, trying to get more than my fair share out of the world of the material, a car, a watch, relationship, whatever, was never meant to give me that much joy, is not possible. So the first time I get into that relationship, you know, I drive that car. That's the most I'm ever going to love that person and or that thing. And eventually the shine will wear off where I'm just stuck with the fucking payments. I'm now stuck in this relationship, whatever the case may be. And Bob Darrell talks about this pretty good. He's actually the, the first one that pointed that out. The shine wears, wears off. That comes from him. 
you know, when eventually it's the wrong color, or it's, you know, the vehicle, it's the wrong color, it wasn't the right kind or whatever. And that's the kind of shit that really spoke to me. Drinking, sure, absolutely. But when it comes to that, I, I didn't think anybody else felt that way, truthfully. You know, when I came here, I was shown that other people drank and used the way that I did, okay. You know, but now we're talking about some shit that I didn't even fucking know my whole life. That's a totally different story. That's called that's called the step six, right? Uh, let me break into this quickly and then we'll go on break. All right, so we're talking about if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves and quiets the imperious urge. When to yield would mean heartache. For that reason and for that reason alone is why I've sp sponsored the amount of men that I've sponsored. So anywhere between eight and 12 guy cycles, did that for fucking five years. It's only been over maybe, you know, COVID last year and a half. I've kind of geared that down a little bit. That's the reason. Through sponsorship, quieted the imperious urge and allowed me to do the, the necessary work in between my sponsorship um, to be balanced in this area, to find the right sex, not selfish, not lust, none of that kind of shit. Um, and so for the guys that I work with who aren't sex addicts, you know, they could sponsor half of what I've done. That means I expect them to be at four to six. If they are a sex addict, every fucking thing to a T that I've done. Um, now, when it comes to relationships, just quickly, I want to share on this because there is a difference between me and Bill is that this guy builds up to it, right? So it'll be first thing I want to focus on is his same sex relationships. And that will be sponsor. So sponsor, I'm outside of it. It'll be a fellowship. I call it the flat tire five. That means that five guys, if he gets a flat tire, it's an old sales fucking term. If three o'clock in the morning, if who the fuck is he calling for a flat tire? Okay, I want him to build that in the first year. Then I want him to look at platonic relationships, uh, platonic relationships with the opposite sex. These women have to fill, uh, fill out the sex ideal. So they have to be 12 step. They have to be the whole nine yards, everything I said. No emotional disturbance, no nothing. He does that successfully then we could chat, right? Really, I actually want him to do passions and loves after that, but I could be a little bit more flexible. After all that's said and done, he's not looking at it for two fucking years. That's typically, that's the timeline. That's how that works out. There's more important fucking things that come before that. The most important thing he could do really is build solid same-sex relationships because when push comes to shove and I can't answer, which happens from time to time, he needs a fucking other guys. He needs other guys to bounce this dishonesty off of clear the channel. That's the utmost important. I don't want to hear anything fucking shy of that. And I will shoot down anything shy of that, especially in the first year. I don't entertain much when it comes to that kind of nonsense. So, um, okay, let's take break five minutes. Yeah. Hang on. I just want to add to what he's talking about with like, uh, building proper relationships from like ground zero. When I start working with somebody, I tell them, or I try to implore to them, like they're in my relationship is probably the most important relationship that they have in their life. You know, yeah, okay, you're married, you have kids and shit. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Our relationship and the honesty involved and the vulnerability involved 
is probably more important than those other relationships. And that's fucking, I ain't even kidding. Okay. Cause a man is not probably going to be as honest with his wife as he is with me. Right. And he's not for sure going to be that honest with his kid because he can't tell his kid certain things anyway. Right. And his friends, typically in the world of the material, you got to fucking live up to a certain idea as a man. So you're not going to be vulnerable with your peers anyway. So this relationship between me and him or me and her, I do sponsor some women. It's really the most important relationship of their life right now in that first year. And as we get past that, we get 12 step. You're now sponsoring, working with others. Now this guy's next important relationship, like Jesse said, is with some men. Like a real fucking relationship with men where you fucking have these flat tire fives and they're guys, right? And then for me, it's like, okay, now you step out. And now we're, now we're somewhere around two years, right? 15, 18 months, two years. And now he's got to build a relationship with women. Like, I don't know how many women Jesse gets this guy to build with, but I'm, a, I'm saying at least two or three. Try to find some women that you can build like real relationships with where you don't want to fuck them. Because if you still want to fuck them, that's not what I'm talking about. Because most guys, no matter what, at some point, and this is probably across the board, they do want to fuck the chick. Okay. That's what men do. But in this program, I've seen it time and time again, you can get to a point where you build relationships with women that they're fucking just a friend because you've respected them, not like a woman, but like a human being. And that's what I tell the guys I work with. You, you treat her like a human being, not like a woman. Because a lot of our ideas in the subconscious are skewed and we'll treat women a certain way and it's actually not healthy still. Or we'll see them a certain way. So we start treating them like a human being and then we can become friends with them. And then from there, maybe you can dip into a relationship and start trying this shit out. But I've seen time and time again, like I, I one guy comes to mind. He wouldn't build like real relationships with women. And he's had nothing but fucking trouble in relationships. He's gone to psychiatrists and counselors and fucking his pastor and all of these things. And he fucking won't listen to me in this area. And he keeps thinking he's fucking smarter than me in this area. And I know in the depths of my soul, I know what's best for this fucker, but he doesn't fucking think so. He thinks it's always something else. Like we always think it's something else. So this guy, you know, he's, he's on to a new sponsor and whatnot. And I wish him the best, but I can see this ain't going to be successful for him until he builds like a platonic relationship with fucking women. Because he doesn't know how to treat them, right? And there's some other underlying factors in this. But the data you collect as a sponsor on the psyche of a human being, it's fucking unbelievable. And like Jesse talked, him and I talk about like hard and fast lines in the sponsorship. It's because alcoholics stay within like this these boundaries of fucking shit up. And like very rarely do they not go like into an area where they don't fuck it up. And if you follow a certain path, you can actually be really successful. Um, but that path is hard, right? Because we have all the societal belief systems. And a lot of what we do is it's counter to culture. It's counter to what other people are doing. So we think that we're missing out. That is then, and we're different too, right? So anyway, that's it. Does anyone have any questions? I know that this is like an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, right?
Um, does anyone want to share like anything or ask anything? And I know there's a couple of people online that might also, but anyone in here want to first? You want well, to take them? That we're just sharing what we see, right? So oh, no, good question. It's a great question. And there is an answer to that question for and, sure. And the question is, is like Chris was talking about, okay, when I came in here, I, I was told, you know, kind of stay in my own lane for a year, try to be single and work on myself, which is, yeah, right? Um, but what he's hearing is like, you might not really find that till three, four, five years. Well, which is fucking true also. But that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, date and, and explore and learn about who you are through through the time period. Um, so as long as you're like growing in a good way and you're fucking finding out who you are, I'm not saying that, that it's going to be five years. Maybe it's fucking one year. Maybe it's two years. I don't know. But maybe hearing what we're saying will bring in your head as you're dating and keep you more centered in God and go, okay, most of these relationships don't really take fruition until four years in. And maybe it makes you fucking work harder at treating your partner like a human being. Maybe it allows you to bring more God in in that second and third year and you can change the fucking stats over time. I don't know. But, you know, we're just sharing our experience with you. And uh, as you're working with new people and you're kind of relaying some of the information, most of your information is going to come through your own experience as a sponsor, right? You can listen to us and kind of go by some of what we're saying. But our experiences come only through our own sponsorship. And as you kind of see, you work with guys, they die because they're not following what we're talking about. Um, there's no mistake why we're so convicted in how we say things and, and how we voice it. It's because we fucking see people die. And like people are always like, oh, fuck, I wish I can be as convicted as you. I just don't have that in me. That's not me. Well, it becomes you when you fucking see people die. Right. And, and, Maybe that'll happen for you. I don't know, but that's my answer. Okay. So the question is, is what do you tell a new guy? You're going to tell him five years flat the fuck out. Um, and, and good question. Good question. What I've done is I have no opinion until four and five, no opinion. I don't say anything. I mean, it's all structured, right? So ideally I'm going to be with this guy for about a month and a half by the time he's doing the five process. Once I have all that data and we do the ironclad fucking sex conduct, now I got everything to stand on. I'm the only guy more often than not in his life that has all that information. So for the most part, unless he's asking me questions, Jess, here's the situation. What do you think I should do? Yada, yada. Odds are that's going to be a guy a year plus doing a sponsor's point of view, deeper understanding. If it's this guy's wet, he's fucking fresh, like shaking off the meth type thing. Um, like I said, no opinion, but generally I'm going to be moving pretty quick with that guy. That'll be like two sessions a week. So generally that'd be like, by the time I get have him for a month, he's going to be doing the four, if not in the five. So for the most part, you know, if they're new, if they're in a desperate condition, we're moving pretty fucking quick where he doesn't have much movement, but I can't say anything. He doesn't understand. Like I said, this guy's not going to treat it serious. But once I do that sex conduct with him, spend fucking four or five hours on that, right? Lay out all the information and then give him an ironclad sex conduct that he agrees with. Now I got everything to stand on. Spiritual tangibility. And as you work with these guys, you're not really sharing that information anyway. 
maybe the one year sober thing is a good little bit of information generally to share. But as you start working with them, you're just trying to help them develop character. So after that year, you're also going to be like, okay, you want to date? Okay, this is what you do then. You fucking treat her like a human being, blah, blah, blah. And you allow them to fucking do what they need to do. It's not about scaring them into fucking not dating for five years or scaring them back out into the other world and getting kale. It's about how teaching them to grow. You're hearing this information here at the big book study because that's our experience. That's my experience. You're not going to hear that most places. And as you work with the, your, your men, you're just going to teach them how to build character. That's it. And then as they grow and you grow as a sponsor, you'll be able to fucking see what I'm talking about. Anyway, my personal opinion is I think, no, you shouldn't try to live up to that exact perfection type of list of who you think you want to be. I don't think so. Cause that's a lot of perfectionism and we suffer from perfectionism in the illness. So I think as long as you have your safe and sound sex ideal and you have a year and you're sponsoring and you're doing the things, take that chance. Right. But remember that that person's to be respected and you're going to learn about you as you go into it. So like, don't be afraid of getting into relationships either. Right. So that's the other thing. That's where I'd give somebody leash, right? Jesse may not, I don't know, but I would say, you know what? You want to date? Go ahead. You want to fuck? Go fuck. Go fuck that person. Go try it. See how you feel. Nine times out of 10, they come back and go, I feel like shit. Well, yeah, I knew you would because you're not the same person that drove those fucking instincts that when you came in here with. So you fucking change and you tweak it. And then you start talking to your pillars more and you're, you build this like truth of who you are and you move forward. So that's my opinion, not to like totally perfectionize yourself to the point where you you have to be a certain, you'll, you'll be molded through the experiences as long as you're doing the things. Jess. Okay. So just to kind of rehash the question is, you know, you're talking about the going off the piece that I had mentioned about the two half pieces, you know, two half people. And so you have a number of things set up 10 exactly. And the question is, is do you have to accomplish all 10? You know, or can you do eight, six, whatever, and then be able to start looking just for everybody online. So I would say just off the top of your head, out of those 10, how much of those are based in the world of the material? Okay, they're all character driven. I would say all fucking 10. If it was like, you know, you got to get a house, you got to get a better paying job, that type of shit. Then I would say like, let's say it's split half and half. I cut that the fuck out and I'd accomplish the five. Give me two examples. Maybe ones that aren't too, you know, sensitive to you, uh, you know, things that you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, I'd say all fucking 10. I mean, a relationship without communication, a real, you know, relationship without trust. I mean, what you need though, like, let's say you're looking for marriage, let's just say, right? I mean, you are going to want women who have been happily married in your fellowship. You know, let's say newly married, couple decades. You also want women who have been divorced fucking five times. Because I mean, they could be just as good as in, you know, what not to do, right? And so what I'll do is, you know, like my own fellowship is comprised of that guys who are fucking all over the map, bachelors, guys have been divorced a number of times and that type of stuff. And, you know, you're going to run it all through, you know, those individuals um, and then also be able to like, you know, proper communication. What the fuck does that even look like? Well, I mean, ideally you're going to start off with, you know, women in your fellowship, then platonic relationships with men. 
you're going to fucking learn a ton of that because it's pretty well, it is a relationship. There's just no lust and physicality. You still deal with everything that you would in a relationship, communication, all that. Your pride coming up, you know, why hasn't he texted me? All that shit. It's all going to be fucking there. The just aspect of sex isn't going to be there and lust and all that other stuff. And it actually gives you a lot of room to learn and see that dishonesty come up and, you know, learn, learn a thing or two, have some spiritual awakenings in that area. But first start off with the women, those relationships. And then over time, once you feel comfortable enough with that, because once you start getting into the platonic male, like I was having a conversation outside of this, is that the women are going to be the ones, you know, when, when these relationships don't work out, like it will fucking happen. Welcome to life. It's these women that you need. That's what helps you not be a fucking half person. You're not totally relying upon this relationship and this man that you do have women. You could bounce ideas off of. You could go out. You have a life through that fellowship, right? Very important. I would say all fucking 10 don't skimp. Okay. And, and I know you, and I know that you have a hard time reaching out to your sponsor. So building like that relationship with somebody is really fucking important. And to be able to keep yourself accountable and to be able to be honest. And, you know, based on the phone call we had the other night, holy fuck, right? Like you need to be talking to her and working shit out with her and not keeping this shit to yourself because we can rationalize and justify fucking anything. And the dishonesty bleeds in. And then like, you know, I don't want to tell what we were talking about, but in the same breath, like some of those things could fucking take you down the wrong road. Right. So it's important to build that relationship. Um, I think Jesse, to some degree, was actually agreeing with me that a lot of a lot of your experiences are going to come through the experience. But if you're not doing all the things that we require here, then you're gonna it's going to be crooked, right? So sponsoring, meetings, inventory, fucking pillars, like these things are crucial in order for you to get into a relationship and be fucking honest with yourself. But if you're not honest with your sponsor, you ain't going to be able to be honest with yourself or anybody else either, right? So anyway, anyone else? Right. And so your question is, how long do you give a sponsor to do the inventory process? Is that correct? So, um, so right from start to finish, uh, typically, um, I give my sponsor the first three columns of resentments, and I give them like two weeks. I might give them a little bit more depending, but two weeks to do the first three columns. We meet, I review the first three columns. I give them the fourth column in fears, fears in its entirety. I give them another week or two maybe to do that. And then we're on the sex conduct. I give them the whole sex conduct at once. And I give them two weeks, pretty much maybe three to do all of the sex conduct. And then from there, I review it all. And then I book a five and that five's done usually within a couple of weeks of the four being done normally and uh that's how i do it so i'll do two weeks on resentments and then uh we won't we won't meet in person after the two weeks i mean there is a week grace if the man has a family and kids i could be very flexible but if he's in like a house no flexibility at all depending on the severity though typical is two weeks for resentments but it might be a week for resentments might even be a week for the four Typical situation though, resentment's two weeks. Then we hop on the phone together. I give him fears and sex conduct. He has a week to do that. 
three weeks total, then we bang it out as quickly as possible. Typically, I don't, I used to do like back-to-back fives. There was times I did four, four fives in a row. It's just too much. I don't fucking do that anymore. So Saturday is when I book my fives. I have fives to do, and that's what we'll do. And then um, when, we, when we're on the phone, I'll have him send me um, texts, like pictures of what he's done in the resentments. And I'm just making sure like a common mistake that a guy will do is in the effects, my resentments, he will just copy all the effects, my five of them, right? Where I don't want that. I want him to actually think and put, you know, essentially number them, right? So if it is ambition, security, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see ambition, security, self-esteem, those three, every fucking one. You know what I mean? That's a common, commonly what guys will do. That's the type of shit that I'm looking for, making sure that he did it right. Simple fact is the process and how they do um, the inventories is very important because it's actually going to follow them for a long fucking time. So they might as well get it down pat now. So I'm a complete stickler on that. Yeah, I'm going to take one online. Uh, she didn't want to ask her question, uh, but I can do it. Um, her question was to uh, about uh, addressing uh, women and how it... it uh, how it differs between men and women in the in uh, the rooms, and in, in in terms of sex conduct, as uh, men and uh, as women don't, uh, you know, tend to, you know, go to rub and tugs and hookers. Okay. Things well, like that. Fair enough. Um, that's fair enough. Well, you are dealing with two men at the speaker here, so you're going to get primarily a man's perspective. Um, Jesse does not sponsor women. He will not give you any women perspective. I can give you a bit of a woman's perspective. And, uh, but you know, it's not like at the top of my mind. Um, you know, that's where Janine comes in handy. She's more versed in that, but women do things like fucking, uh, what, what do women do? You know, what do you guys do in your sex conduct? That's Maybe it's not a rub and tug. Maybe it's not hookers. Maybe it's not this. Maybe it's not that. Leading people on, seeking attention, validation, jealousy, and acting in that jealousy. Being a young female and interfering with older couples' marriage. Like these things are all like great fucking points. Like women typically do things a little differently. And like I remember, like, I was sponsoring these women and I had an old lady, I had a girlfriend in the program. And I remember this woman speaking to me loud enough to fucking affect my girlfriend and, and saying things that like, weren't like really nice. Right. Just, and, and speaking it louder to affect my girlfriend, it's called mind and emotional manipulation. Right. Or maybe, you know, I know a lot of women, you know, might, at least throw the hook into the guy's life to know that, oh, I could get him if I wanted to and disturb the relationship a little. And they get fucking value out of that shit, right? Um, what else? What else? Okay. Well, it doesn't really matter, but you guys can think about those things that you do. And, you know, maybe Janine and I can do a podcast or we can do a session when she's back. And kind of rehash this out more for the women. But today, like Jesse and I primarily work with males. And so we kind of talk about the male aspect of it. But there's many things females do, right? A lot of it's more based on manipulation and blah, blah, blah. 10-4. 
Okay, well, we're going to do a podcast on that. So just keep staying tuned and come and listen to the podcast. <laughs> Validation, lust, manipulation, the chase, Tinder. Oh, fuck yeah, that was a good one. Using men on Tinder, right? And just kind of playing the game and that power and control, the, the cat and mouse shit, right? Like women are always sought after. Like there's a study that some guy did and he's like, you know, women select like 10% of all of the men on Tinder as a swipe right, where men select like 75 or 80% of the women. So it's like the women have the choice of all the men really in our society. And so men are always chasing women and the women can play that game, right? And they probably do. Many of them do play that game of power and control and, you know, you know, chasing the cheese and fucking the mouse chasing the cheese, right? And, and manipulating men to fucking get whatever. Like, it's, it's, it's everywhere, right? So, but we can talk about that more on another setting. So let's move on. Step five, interaction. We're going to get through a little piece of this. We're going to shut her down in about 20, 25 minutes. And the thing I will say before we move on about sex conduct is when you're in a step five where you're talking with your sponsor about sex conduct, the sponsors often don't want to talk about that because it's a fucking subject that makes us feel uncomfortable. Okay. So as a sponsee and a sponsor, you have to get better at talking about sex conduct because that's where all the goods are. When I do a fucking five, most of the goods that I need to know about you come out of the sex conduct. So you have to fucking get versed in accepting of what people are going through and you will see the human instincts, the human instincts that they talk about in the step four in the 12 and 12 on the first page and a half, you get to see all those instincts in rampage, in collision, and how they're driving your life powerfully, blindly, and subtly. That comes through mostly the sex conduct. So what happens as you talk more about the sex conduct and you learn more about people, like I talked about, you know, the guy hypothetically masturbates 15 times a day, blah, blah, blah. You start fucking talking to other men or women or whatever about these things. It's not awkward. It's fucking human nature. Like who in here hasn't fucking masturbated? Like Jesus fucking Christ, right? Like it's human nature. It's instinctual. And what drives these things? And it all starts to make sense. And then you start building compassion. You start building love. You start seeing yourself. You're talking to yourself. You're listening to yourself and somebody else. And you start seeing all these things and you're doing inventory and building love for them and for you. Like there's so much more to this than what we fucking can think is going to happen. There's subtle things in the subconscious that start getting healed through this, right? So, but it takes like going through those awkward moments. Like the first step on this is like calling someone and asking them for help. None of us did that. We were self-sufficient and we fucking burn our lives down. Like, you know, you're a year or whatever in and you're just still having trouble reaching out. People still have trouble reaching out. But it's a necessity, right? I know Jesse reaches out. He's fucking six, seven years in. I reach out and we have to, right? And now it's just like, he'll call me. He's like, you got 15 minutes? I got to bounce some shit off you. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I give him the input and he's like, okay, I'm going to call someone else. And it's over. It's just like that. Boom, boom, done, right? But some people can't get there. 
Anyway, into Acts in chapter 6. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? So we just did a step four, and now what are we going to do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude. New attitude is step two. A new relationship with our creator, step three. And to discover the obstacles in our path, that is step four. We have admitted certain defects, and we have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put a finger on our weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. Should I just read the whole thing? Yep. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They never took inventory all right, but they hung on to, they took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough about humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all of their life story. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents a stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think that someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside of himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance of recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom we take this intimate confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires a confession must and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still, still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search out our acquaintance for a closed-mouth understanding friend 
Perhaps a doctor or psychologist will be the person. It will be one of our own family. But we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Boom. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Okay, go. Okay. Taking it back to the start here. So in actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. So, I mean, when a lot of people are funneled through the houses, then they're funneled to the rooms. Even when people, you know, are first introduced to the rooms themselves, step five, doing that step with another person seems to be fairly understood, right? I'd imagine in the date and time that this book was, was uh, written in, that would be a very big reveal, but there's many, you know, reveals before that time, right? So a solitary self-appraisal uh, is insufficient, seems to be fairly understood in five, 100% misunderstood in 10. So the process and the practice of the step five doing that with another human being is the exact same process and does not fucking change for 10 at all, right? Whatever you've learned and whatever benefits you've gotten out of the five, because at the end of the day, one through four, there's no tangible results out of that. There may or may not be some spiritual awakenings, maybe found in we agnostic, maybe found in three, but nothing fucking, nothing very tangible you could bite into, you could take home, changes the way you feel for a fucking week sometimes too. That's step five. So by the time you get to step five and you get those results, you could capture that. You could bottle that. That's what step 10 is. The presence an individual gets out of a five is really meant to be the presence that they will have through their fucking lifetime, right? And so that's found in 10. Solitary self-appraisal is insufficient in regards to the five, but also in the 10. I can't tell you how many guys will tell me that, yeah, you know, I do inventory, I do it in my mind, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'll do this, I'll do that. And I'm like, well, you're fucking not calling me, right? It's been a couple of weeks since I fucking heard from you, maybe even a couple months. So I know for a fact that this is all solitary self-appraisal, right? And it's insufficient. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. And this is why it's so common that you would get an individual to four, and then they fuck off thinking they could find an easier, softer way. Now it says humbling. Then it says they took inventory all right, but hung on to the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves if they had not learned enough humility. Right, so that's a couple sentences. Let's say five sentences. They say this humbling experience. Then he goes on to say um, they had not humbled themselves, not enough humility. The part that's the purpose, purpose of the step. You know, I mean, it is a common theme and a common principle that you want to sustain some sort of humility from step one all the way to twelve. You know. And step five is really where you fucking tear open to that, you know? 
that's really where you're pressing an individual. I mean, a lot of the times guys will walk themselves and they will tell you all the information that you need. I mean, if you look at from the, the who to the what, the second column of at least sex conduct and resentments, you just get the individual talking. He'll tell you everything you fucking need to know. I don't say anything. I don't say anything that will go into the third column. And then it's a big blast fucking fourth column where I throw it all in there because they don't understand. They don't know, you know, how could this happen? Yada, yada, yada. I can't believe they treat me like that. It's, it's quite as common as uh, resentments. The father, father abandoned me. Um, and I say, you know, I'm, I'm asking him about him in that, you know, do you have a son? Yeah. Are you involved in his life? No, I'm not. You know, I ended up leaving when he was two years old, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I don't say anything about that in the second column. It all gets fucking hammered in the, in the, you wrap it all up because it's important to open up the wound, but you have to close it and cut it the fuck off. That's the difference between us and maybe the medical fraternity when the medical fraternity has a business of opening it up and leaving it fucking open. If you get better, I don't make money off you as in a business medical fraternity, right? But I don't, I mean, we don't give a fuck about that. We go down to the root causes and conditions. We open it the fuck up only to close it, right? Only to cauterize the wound. So this individual can move on, be a productive member of society. Okay. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. They're saying the alcoholic lives a double life. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes. He vaguely remembers these memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him as fast as he can. He pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. It's not uncommon. Like, you know, in regards to resentments, you know, you put a guy on the spot and he says that he has no resentments. I mean, every man says that. The funny thing about that is, is every individual who tells me that believes they're unique. You know, and the simple fact is, is that because they're being pressed on it, it's not live action. A lot of these are dormant until they come up, right? Also too, a lot of them are forgot. This is why I said like, it's not typical the individual is going to be lying to me in resentments and fears. He will definitely, they will definitely be lying to me in sex conduct. But when it comes to resentments and fears, there's a good chance that it just doesn't come to mind. And it's not unheard of for it to come to mind a couple months later, maybe six months later. So from time to time, you know, doing a five with, a, with an individual and then doing a semi-annual or annual house cleaning, when these things come up, it's very fucking common. You know, I've spawned, I've, I've had, I have guys who are sober five plus years almost as long as I'm fucking sober. And I've probably done maybe three, four step fives, semi-annual or annual house cleanings. You gotta be careful though, because what happens is you do an original five, then you do a semi-annual or annual house cleaning, all of a sudden they're fucking back on it. Like an individual can be, can rely on you instead of God and can rely on the five um, for the benefits. Right, you got to be very weary of that because that's not what the fuck this is about at all. This isn't some band aid make you feel good about you. You know that you do no work. I don't hear from you for six months. Call me up for and you know I've had guys do that as well. And that doesn't fucking fly. You know it's only if they consistently do the work then they can actually capitalize on the five. Okay. Uh, only thing I'll share on the rule is that we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And that is a, um, there's two things. There's another thing that says we can't reveal anything 
that would harm other people. That's the qualification of that. And that has to do with uh, that has to do with not doing the five with a sponsor, doing it with a closed mouth uh, friend, right? And uh, I mean, that's a men's process. That's essentially everything. That is going to be my guide that I do not want to try and save myself from the alcoholic pit at another person's expense. That is, that is a step nine practice. That is just as much a step nine practice as it is a step five practice. You know, if something had happened and I want to share that with a, a friend, with a family member who would be affected and the purpose is for Jesse to feel good about Jesse, I'm going to cut that the fuck out. That is not what we're doing here. I am not trying to save myself from the alcoholic pit at another person's expense, right? I'm not doing it in the five and I'm sure as fuck not doing it in the nine. Okay. I want to go back to the first paragraph. Um, talks about requires action on our part, which when completed mean we will have admitted to God, to ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our defects. So the word nature is uh, origin of. So in my opinion, we don't get to the exact nature of the defect. Even though it does say it here, we don't actually. Especially when we're doing our first set of steps because we're focused on the fourth column. And the fourth column isn't really the fucking nature of the, the issue. The nature means the origin of. The origin of our defects is in the instincts. And the instincts are in your third column. And the third column is the one that becomes more important over time. So you get more to the nature of these defects over time. Okay. Hold on. Um, so that's the importance of like working a fucking real program over time. So you can dig in without even actually digging in. You peel back the layers like you're stripping land with machines and you get down to the fucking mineral soil, you get down to the defect over time. If you don't keep stripping the soil to deal with the shit, when the shit comes up, the shit will fucking deal with you. I've seen it time and time again. You don't want to keep a clean house? You'll pay for it, man. And you'll pay for it in year three, five, 10, 15. But typically I see people pay for it in year four, five, or six because they fucking get somewhat of a program going and they get on with the business of being self-satisfied, but they're not dealing with the guilt and the shame and the grief and the loss that need to come up at a certain point. That shit will come up. The longer you stay sober and the older you get, it's coming. So you better be working a fucking program. Okay. Um, Jesse talked about the solitary self-appraisal. Uh, uh, the best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Vital has two meanings. One, it's important. Two, it's giving of life. So as we fucking speak these words in fives, and what's more important than a five that I did like fucking almost eight years ago when I was new? My five today. Where's my five done today? It's done in my step 10 inventory as I call and I do, I do these calls when I'm struggling with self, right? That's more important than my five fucking eight years ago. I need to be calling and fucking outing myself today. Way more important. So if I skip this step today, it takes the vitality, the giving of life away from me because it starts blocking me off and fucking uh, blocking off my channel. I need that to be clear. And that's what these uh, step tens do. We get on to the next page. It says, but they had not learned enough about humility, fearlessness, and honesty. 
Okay, that's like the beginning level. That's like the beginning level. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to go back to the first paragraph where it said we have ascertained in a rough way what, uh, sorry, sorry. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. So if I'm only ascertaining in a rough way what the fucking trouble is on a step four and maybe my first five, what about the deeper than rough way? What about the fucking one that matters? It's deeper than in the rough. You got to fucking, that only comes through time because we haven't learned enough about fearlessness, humility, and honesty in that first year or two. That takes time and practice. Even like at eight years in, like I remember in my sixth year, I went through severe fucking pain um, because it needed to come up, but I needed to learn more about honesty, humility, and fearlessness in year six. And I got really fucked up for a bit. But luckily with good pillars and good sponsorship and people that really gave a fuck about me, like my flat tire five, I got through that shit. And year seven's been fucking smooth sailing. And I don't want to say that too loud and too confidently because creator will fucking smack me around. right? So that stuff takes time. And it says, in the sense, we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. So as Jesse talked about, things come up over time. So your life story isn't going to come up all at once. It comes up over fucking time and years, right? Like my story that I used to share at like, my first time I ever shared my story in a meeting was at six months. The, sh the story that I share today is not the story that I shared at six months or at two years or at four years. It's changed because new things have come up. Every time I share my story at a meeting, at a speaker meeting, I'm doing a step five, right? Um, okay, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, you're bang on, but I'm just going to separate. Instead of intentions and motives together, intentions hide motive. Okay, okay. Totally. So most of us live our lives with the best of intention. Okay, we want to do what's right. And we're trying to do the right thing and we're, we're driven by the intention. But the thing about this program and the reality of working a solid program is you're trying to peel the layers off of what the intention is and see the fucking motive. Because the motive holds the fucking gold, okay? So once you see the motive, then you're going to learn more about humility, fearlessness, and honesty. But if you keep running on intention, you fucking hide and you, you block yourself off from the truth. And then you just believe that life's not treating you right or you get in resentments and things start kind of closing in on you and, and it gets small. Your world gets small. And that's what step 10 does. Step 10 allows you to see motive if you're working a real step 10, if you're working a treatment center step 10, it won't fucking work. And if you're working the one that's in the rooms that everyone shares about promptly admitting you're wrong and making amend, you won't get the value there either because both of those are trying to self-will principles into your life, but it's still all based in self. The thing about a real step 10 is it takes self out of the picture and allows you to fucking be humiliated and suffer through some fucking pain with the desire under it all to seek and do God's will. So you're seeking spiritual progress rather than perfection. And when you follow the process, the results are principles. You don't need to practice the principles in your fucking affairs because the principles are practiced as a result of the process, the mechanics, much more important than the theory.
Um, any other questions before we shut it down or any other comments? So just to finish off, this is a five. Fives are important on their own, but fives are much more important in the process of the step 10 when you're in active recovery because it keeps you fucking honest, keeps the channel clear. And if the channel's fucking clear, then you have a chance of using step 11 as a pure power step where you can actually gain intuitive thought and inspiration instead of it being a fucking lip service idea that I'm fucking connecting to God. Because most people don't understand step 10 and they won't reach out and talk to their pillars and discuss their whole life. So they end up blocking their channel based on good intention. So out of a step 11, 10 that you have, you use step 11 to a one and you think that that's what it is. But that's not what it is. It's actually much more than that. But you have to go back to the 10 and a huge part of the 10 is being honest with other fucking people.